Welcome to Afroability, a conversation about African business and technology. Today, we're going to talk about Take A Lot, the largest e-commerce platform in South Africa and one of the largest across Africa. We'll start by giving some context of e-commerce in South Africa. We'll talk about Take A Lot's founding and early history. We'll also discuss NASPER's 2018 acquisition of Take A Lot. And then we'll end by discussing Take A Lot's business strategy and our overall thoughts and its future outlook. This episode was recorded on April 18, 2021. Banco what's up, man? Vancolino, I'll take that one. How are you doing, man? That's a very Champions League friendly one. I'll take it, man. I'll take it. Chelsea's in the, in the Champions League semifinal. Yeah. Life is good. Yeah. Chelsea's played amazing. I feel great. That's I, how I thought I'm, about that's it. How I'm doing. I thought and about you doing the games. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that, bro. How are you nice. doing? I'm doing fine. I feel like, uh, yeah, 2021, April, things are things are looking good. I feel solid. It's been a good week. Um, one of my friends was uh, their birthday this week, uh, and I feel relaxed. I'm excited for, to talk about this episode, and it's been a good week. So win-win. Yeah. Yeah, win-win. Chelsea does that a lot. I don't know if you know that. Winning. <laughs> I, I okay. Just, yeah, I can't wait. Info at Send us any gossip you have about uh, transfers or about cups and football clubs. <laughs> Boom. Okay, so yeah. what, are we, what are we doing today? What are we talking about? Take a lot. Take a lot. Take a Let's lot. Let's talk about take a lot. Yes, we're talking about take a lot. I'm excited to talk about it. I think for a bunch of different reasons. First of all, e-commerce is one of those areas that it has a lot of potential. I saw a stat that only one to 2% of South Africa's retailers online. So a lot of potential for growth. And then I just think it's an interesting story and it'll be fun to talk about the biggest player in the whole of South Africa and one of the biggest across Africa, depending on how you size it. So they're a big deal. E-commerce is also interesting because it's an example of Africa and African tech leapfrogging. So in many different parts of Africa, less so South Africa, but many mm. different parts of Africa, there's not a big amount of formal retail, like oh, right. big box stores as you would have. Right. And we're going to go straight past that where people don't have a department store experience um, right. before they get an e-commerce experience, which is different. And I feel like that's ah. going to be the same, similar to like landlines where I, I like most it. people did not have landlines before they got a mobile phone and most people didn't have dial up, but they went straight to broadband and 3G. Uh, internet. As a, Got it. So e-commerce could be one of those kind of, well, who needs big box stores when things can just get delivered to your door? It's true, actually. I never thought about the clean transition, but I guess there's like open markets, which is super distributed um, to big box, then to online. But in a lot of places, you just skip the middle step and go from the open market to online. Huh. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think I'm just going to talk about my biases up front in this episode because I think I have a lot of strong biases. So, okay. So I'm just, I'm just going to state it and then discount a lot of stuff I'm going to say about my biases. Okay. So I think e-commerce is generally a very hard business and I think it's hard to make profitable due to the capital intensive nature of the business. And I think you need to do a bunch of different things to be successful in e-commerce. And a lot of it includes outsourcing, um, outsourcing to other logistics providers by becoming a logistics platform trying to become a marketplace instead of directly selling stuff. So I'll be I'll be sort of negative on this podcast. So uh, take everything I say with, with a grain of salt, with, with that bias as we talk about it. That, that's that's how a, I feel about e-commerce. That's a, that's a strong way to start, Olumide. I'm just but saying up, up front, up front. So people, people can, can discount what I'm, I'm about to say. Why take a lot? So what is what is take yes. a lot? Yes. Uh, why take a lot? Okay. Takealot.com. Okay. okay, I'll take it. So Takealot, largest online retailer in South Africa. Um, it's the largest in terms of GMV and of net revenue. It's both a first-party retailer that sells directly to customers, and it also runs a third-party marketplace where it's a channel for sellers to sell their stuff. And it has between 2,500, um, has between 2,500 and 3,000 SMB sellers on its marketplace. So massive, massive, yeah. massive. Yeah, and we're talking about it because it's 
not very well known, at Strange. least I don't think so, yes. outside uh, Africa or even outside South Africa. O- outside South Africa, exactly. But if it's a privately held company by Naspers, and if you hear the CEO, if you believe the CEO when he says that they're four times bigger than Jumia, we right. sort of get a bit more uh, outsized press and we're like, hmm, let's do an episode on Take A Lot. Yeah. Think yeah. about this for a while. It, it, it's, it's fascinating that uh, I wonder what the valuation would be if it were publicly held. But yes, in 2019, the CEO said the net revenues were 4x Jumias, which basically means the net revenues as of 2018 were about $600 million. And for the audience, the reason I keep on saying net revenue as we go through this conversation is there's GMV which is the total transaction of everything happening. But the actual number, which is more important, is net revenue, which is when you take out the take rate from, from the GMV. So yeah, they're, they're a big deal um, and they are owned by Nasper. So if you want to learn more about Nasper, we did a whole episode about them, episode five. Before we get into take a lot, we should talk about South Africa and the South Africa e-commerce retail context. So mm-hmm. um, South Africa is Africa's second largest economy. There was a whole big thing in Nigeria a few years ago when Nigeria became the largest because of some rebasing. And it's like, we didn't get richer, but we're right. now the largest economy in Africa. Right. You know, um, it, it's, it's also complete bullshit because it's like, is it the biggest economy or like, okay, first of all, for the audience, biggest economy is by GDP, but really GDP per capita makes more sense because you need to adjust by the number of people. And then even on top of that, you should probably adjust by PPP as well. So I think the numbers are complete yeah. bunk, but fine. It, it is what it is. So GDP per capita is almost twice Nigeria's GDP per capita. Exactly. Um, and then PPP is even more than that, but fine. Even more Who's than counting? That, yeah. yeah. Um, but a quarter of the population leaves less than $1.25 a day. Oh. So it's, it's, it's in sub-Saharan Africa, right? Yes. So there's the sub-Saharan African characteristics of South Africa. Mm. But of all of sub-Saharan Africa, it's probably the most Western and the most industrialized yes. of any of the cities, in, any of the countries in, 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 in sub-Saharan Africa. So Western, if you've ever been to Santin in Johannesburg, or or Cape Town, like Santin is as looks like any business district in any any American city or mm-hmm. any European city. It's mm-hmm. fully well developed. Um, Cape Town is absolutely the most beautiful place in the in the world. Oh um, wow! If you've been, if I've, you've I've, been, I've never been. Absolutely stunning. Like um, they also industrialize. They export iron, steel. They have big industries. They manufacture cars. They there's a lot of processing and uh, and consumption happening in the economy, which mm-hmm. is unlike rest of Sub-Saharan Africa. If you think of Every coast of Ghana exporting a lot of raw cocoa and importing chocolate. Right. South Africa is probably more the export, manufacture the finished car in mm. South Africa, for example. They have a lot of factories. So it's, it's more industrialized and more Western. Right. Um, I, I was going to say, to support what you said, on our mobility tech episode, the episode also yeah. about Uber, we spoke about how it was a common entry point for international conglomerates. Yeah. So a lot of the headquarters are in South Africa. And it's because of what you said. It's the most developed part. So it's a good entry point. Exactly. It's the, typically the first touch point for international business exactly. in Africa. So luxury retail brands, um, mm-hmm. also like a big deal. And, and, and most of them, Africa is always Africa, Santin. I don't want to say South Africa even because Santin is basically like a small uh, oasis in, in Johannesburg. But a lot of the foreign brands, luxury retail, it's all there. It looks like any high street in any major city in the world. A lot of the private equity firms, if you think of the boom, the investing, Africa investing boom of the 2010s, mm-hmm. early 2010s, where Kalal and all of them um, came into Africa, they all had big South Africa offices, hired a bunch of people. In the future, we may end up recording an episode where both of us are in South Africa. That'll be cool. We'll refer back to this episode. Let's see if we can make it happen. Yeah, we should. Yeah, if you can pay for us to fly to South Africa to, 
I would go. Okay, if um, you get paid, we'll we'll buy a budget airline. Don't worry, we're not going to yeah. do business class. Send us um, send us an email. And we'll figure I, out the, the Venmo situation. That's South Africa now. Retail and commerce in South Africa. So, given mm-hmm. all the the Western nature, the relatively more industrialized nature of South African mm-hmm. economy and South Africa versus the rest of Sub-Saharan Africa, the retail here is probably the most uh, formalized. Again, in Sub-Saharan Africa, the story is that it's a shopping center culture. Um, where people like to go to shopping centers, it's where they, it's ent- entertainment. They have mega malls, you right. know. I, I, they have uh, malls that are mega thirty-seven acre malls, roughly half the right. size of the Mall of America type. Are there, so, like, are there a lot of advantages to that? If I'm like a rural person living in, let's pick, let's pick um Kenya, would I yeah. prefer to have a large industrialized complex like that, or just a bunch of different like small markets? There's some advantages, but they're not that unique. The advantages, right? I would even, I would even say like show me your options and I'll show you your choices if I'm getting that saying right. It's I don't like, know what that means. People would only people would react to what's available in front of them, which is like oh right. people like to go to shopping centers because they have a lot of shopping centers versus they go to shopping centers because they like to. Oh, I think okay. they just don't have much better options, right? Um, right. It's like relative to what and what is the job to be done and how much value do you get from it? Like everybody right. thought they like going out to restaurants until the pandemic hit, yeah. and they realized they can eat without going out to eat. Right. I would um, also add that. If you get some of the advantages of big box stores, like lower prices, yes, it could be better. But if, if you get some, some of the disadvantages in that they're not as close to people and people need to do a whole trip to get to it. So, so there are pros and cons. I think on the net in most societies, I think there are more pros than cons. But I, I just want to balance that because some people would be like, oh, I go to the market and I see um, my aunt and I buy some tomatoes from her. Why do I want to do that in like a no-name box store? But there are pros and cons to all these things. Mostly pros in this case, I would say. Yeah, and the large, the large South African formal retailers. So all of this context, mm-hmm. large retailers take eighty percent of retail sales, sales maybe sixty percent wow. of grocery sales. So pick and pay, Spar, MassMart, Medcash, um, Woolworths as well. They have really massive businesses. Um, also, sidebar: Did you know? You know, there's a Woolworths in South Africa, right? I do. And there's a Woolworths in Australia, right? I do. And they're completely unrelated. Did you know that? I did not know. Unrelated in terms of like, it's a coincidence they have the same name. Unrelated yeah. in that they have this it's, former it's, same parents and they split up. No, no, it's a coincidence they have the same name. Like the, the, the Australia one was founded in 1924 in Australia. <laughs> and at the largest retailer in Australia, That's the South right. African one was founded in 1931 wow. in South Africa. And they're just one of the biggest retailers in South Africa. That's funny. Both go by Woolies. That's what you're talking Since we're going off topic, uh, you've heard of, of Notts County before? Yeah, not okay. County, yeah. Not County. Have you ever seen the, their jersey? No. Okay, okay. Go to Google Images and type in Notts County jersey. So like six years ago, I'm watching this match and I see Notts County. I'm like, why the hell? Their jersey looks exactly like Juventus's jersey. I'm yeah. like, this is terrible. Like, I mean, I'll, and then I was making fun of them. I'm like, come on. How could they have stolen Juve's jersey? Dude, I did some history. Juve copied Notts County's jersey. And I was like, really, what? <laughs> so it's like, it's like, because Notts County was one of the most successful clubs 80 years ago. Juve was nothing. Yeah. And now it's the inverse. Anyway, we've gone way off topic. Let's come back. When you said that, Coming I really the thought about this. So as soon as I, like for the audience, I'll post a link. The, the jersey jerseys are literally identical. I don't know if you can see on Google Images right now. Yeah, it is. It was it a is, funny backstory. Anyway, back on topic. Back to topic. back to back to back to retail in South okay, Africa. Retail, so right. online commerce is like one or two percent. I've seen one point four percent. And let's if you contrast it to the US, is maybe fifteen percent. If you depend on who you ask, the UK is eighteen percent. The market mm-hmm. score has twenty percent. Mm-hmm. But they're looking at one to two percent of retail, and they're still so big relatively. Mm-hmm. What one thing is interesting about commerce and retail and e-commerce in South Africa is. They have had e-commerce there for a while. You know, if you, like Kalahari.net, mm-hmm. um, Naspers started that in 1998, mm-hmm. right? 
the predecessor to Take A Lot, Take Two, started in 2002. They had Bid or Buy started in 1999, which is like an eBay competitor. So mm-hmm. this is like two years after Amazon or one year after Amazon. The first right. shareholders letter Amazon was 1997. Right. And they started there in 1998. So they've been doing e-commerce um, in South Africa for a while. I was very... For a while. Yeah, I was stunned to find that as well. It's pretty... It's unique that they would start it so early. But then if you think about... South Africa is being more advanced and having more technology, already having a developed retail sector. It sort of makes sense, but it also, it surprised me because that's really, really early. Like you said, very, very close yeah. to Amazon and eBay's founding. So strange. Yeah. I will say uh, a lot of them didn't reach a lot of scale, even though they launched early, which we'll talk yeah. about in a few minutes, I guess. And and also, this all of this means that this, the average e-commerce spend per, average spend per e-commerce customer is higher in South Africa than like Nigeria, Kenya. So I saw $108. Mm-hmm. Um, for South Africa versus $44 for Nigeria and $42 for Kenya. Oh, all those and numbers are high. That's per year, I guess? Per not, year, not per, per e-com- yeah, yeah okay, per year, per, year. per okay, e-commerce okay. customer. And that's okay. like a, probably the way to think about that is re- more related to GMV than right. the revenue they yes, get, yes. like what for, they buy. 100% GMV. Yeah, it's funny, $100 so, per customer per year. Yeah. I wonder what Bank Holly's Amazon is per year. Maybe like 5000 I don't. So I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Doesn't it doesn't exist. Better not to think about it. Yeah. yeah. It's different. Yeah. Um, mm. So, but but the takeaway here is the South African e-commerce consumer spends over 2x, comfortably over 2x, what the Nigerian or Kenyan e-commerce customer yeah. spends in a year. Yeah. They're, like they're e-commerce the most advanced, customer. They're the most advanced e-commerce uh, country in Africa, but relatively, they're still not that advanced compared to America. So it's, it's all about what we're comparing to. And, and the takeaway here is also like if you... By this data, is you their customers are twice as valuable as the customers for other e-commerce companies in those markets, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Which is like yes. I can get one customer to give me twice the GMV, right? Um, that you would need two customers to get, or two right. and a half customers to get right. in a different right. market. Assuming they have the same take rate, but at least at the top level, two X, then it, you yeah. can slow it down. Um, yeah. W- one thing that always surprises me when I see this data is. So like seven years ago, when I first of all saw the level of penetration of e-commerce, because I'm so deep in tech, I thought it'd be super high numbers. And it's always low. Like you said a few minutes ago, one to 10% for most countries, maybe some countries are 12, 15. But in general, for people that are deep in tech, you think it'd be 80, 90. It's not. Even in the most advanced countries, it's always some very low percentage. It's all spikes because of COVID. But just suffice to say, in almost all countries, offline uh, offline markets are 80, 90%, and e-commerce is like 10, 15%, or even 1% to 2%. It's, it's tiny in general. It's also interesting that even in a place that has much more formal retail, like the retail sector is probably similar to the US or the West than it is to Nigeria, I yeah. would say. Um, it's still 1% to 2%, you know? Yeah. Like there's a lot of, you know, mass mart and like uh, pick and pay and spar, which are everywhere, by the way. If you've ever right. been to South Africa, these are everywhere. But it's still, you know, 1.4%. I guess the takeaway here is South Africa is uh, is in sub-Saharan Africa. It has some sub-Saharan African characteristics, right. but also some uh, developed country characteristics <laughs> in terms of the investments and uh, the, the relative wealth of the upper class in South Africa. Yeah. Also, by the way, to be very clear, there's great inequality in South Africa. Well, it's not, it's not, ex- it's, you know, it's in- income and wealth are not evenly distributed. There's a legacy of apartheid that has um, racial implications for how society is set up. All of those things yes. are definitely still a problem in South Africa today. Yes, yes. You can listen. We spoke more about this um, on our uh, Uber mobility tech episode. So please feel free to check it out. Okay. Now switching gears to talk about take a lot. 
I'm going to talk a little bit about their uh, founding and launch and some of their early history. So normally at this point in the podcast, we'd be talking about the founder and the superhero story. But this the, the launch story is a little bit unique. So I think in this case, we're going to do it in three different aspects. We're going to talk about Take-Two's background, the superhero founder background, of course, and then a hedge fund. And I'll tell you why those three things make sense in a second. So let's take, first of all, Take-Two's background. So when I say Take-Two, I mean T-A-K-E number two. So that was the name. Not of the not Take Two Interactive, the video <laughs> yeah, game company. Yes, yes, no, not not the company that made Grand Theft Auto. Not that company. This is another company. This is a South African company. <laughs> so it was one of the earliest e-commerce companies in Africa. Like Bankoli said, it was founded in two thousand and two. Remarkable by Neil Smith um, and a bunch of mm-hmm. other co-founders. And one one thing that struck me is I was trying to find other comparable um, e-commerce companies that started around the same time in Africa. There were very very few. So I think it was one of the yeah. earliest, or maybe the earliest uh, e-commerce player in Africa. Anyway, so nothing much happened from two thousand and two to two thousand and ten. So that's take two. So let's keep their story to the side for now. Keep that at the back of your mind. Second, I mean, something happened. I think they, 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 they hopefully they grew the business. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, no, 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 nothing so significant. They, they, they continue to exist. And if you have any hate mail, email bankcolate.com. Don't email what? Okay, okay. So the second part of the story is <laughs> the, the superhero background. So our superhero, Kim Reed. So Kim Reed was born and raised in South Africa. He studied accounting at the University of Pretoria, all that fun stuff. He worked at KPMG and Sony Music for a couple of years in financial roles based on his education. Makes sense. And then at some point in his career, he moved into executive positions at NASPERS. Specifically, he worked at MultiChoice, which is a future affordability episode, and MWeb. MWeb is a South African ISP. Basically, they give people home internet. So he uh, he was working in all these executive positions. And later on, interestingly, he became an executive for MIH, which is NASPERS yeah. holding company for a bunch of their internet businesses at the time, including Kalahari.net. Yeah, he okay. was, he was, he was, he joined as a CFO in 2000, which I exactly. found very interesting. Yes. Like very yes. early. So... 2000 CFO before Take Two in 2002. Yes, yes, yeah, it it makes sense because he studied accounting and finance, and at Sony Music he was a director of finance. KPMG was in finance, so it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Then he made the transition from CFO to CEO. So that's the second piece of our story. So we spoke about Take Two. We spoke about Kim Reed. The third piece is the hedge fund or (laughs) investment firm, if you prefer the term, Tiger Global. I love Tiger Global. Okay, what did Tiger Global do? So around 2010, I guess we could say Tiger Global approached Kim and made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Um, not Godfather yeah. style, just financial offer. Don't not, nothing. I crazy. heard. So, I heard <laughs> that he he had. He, I saw something. He was taking a break. Like yes. he had quit MIH. Exactly. And they were like, exactly. bro. <laughs> he said. He said, "I'm going on sabbatical." They're like, "No, don't worry about your sabbatical. Here's fifteen percent coins, <laughs> of coins, this bro. We're about to coins, buy. bro." <laughs> Okay, so they offered him the CEO position and fifteen percent equity to run Take Two that they would buy. So he, he accepted. And then did uh, they set up the venture? But let me take a quick diversion. Then we'll come back to the acquisition. Tiger Global had also invested in Flipkart, which was which was one of the earliest Indian e-commerce companies. So they had invested around nine to ten million two years before. So let's just say Tiger Global is very very familiar with e-commerce in developing countries. And that deal, by the way, that Flipkart deal ended up making them billions later on when Walmart bought uh, Flipkart. Okay, so co- coming back. So coming back, this is how the company started. Tiger Global bought Take Two. Renamed it as Take A Lot, found Kim Reed, and made him the CEO. And all this happened in 2011, and this led to the initial, the initial founding story of Take A yeah. Lot. Wonderful, and but, but also, I want to think about like I want to spend some time on Tiger Global because you know we spend time on on SoftBank and Aspers a little bit, just because I feel like they had an an e-commerce thesis across the world, and they right. went and they put a lot of money between, between 2009 right. 2011. They invested in Flipkart, Ola, mm-hmm. Mintra. Um, 
What is Metro? Mom Supplies. How it's an e-commerce, e-commerce store in India. In a developing country too? Oh, in wow. India, yeah. So, 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 um, so they went hard with all the um, e-commerce players across e-commerce. the world. And, it, and it's okay. basically like, so, so Lee, Lee, um, Lee Fixel, the mm-hmm. famed um, Tiger Global uh, yes. investor who led their private equity arm, drove all these investments. And mm-hmm. the idea was, it was a thesis and they went to all these emerging markets and right. executed on it one by one, which is very interesting. They just went and just like invested some in Africa, invested a bunch in India. Right. And 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 to make money. You know, you know what I think is really cool about the thesis they had. When I read about it now, a lot of people have a very very positive view of the thesis. But strangely, when you read about Rocket Internet's thesis, which is basically the same, people have a negative view because really this is sort of what Rocket Internet did. The only difference is that um, Rocket Internet are doing it with their own founders versus Tiger Global doing it more from an investment perspective. So fascinating. I I think that's a big enough difference for it to be different. I'm I. It's a big enough difference, but but still the the macro view points is both of them thought emerging markets would have successful internet businesses that's the oh, macro yeah. view okay fair, I, fair, I have, I have fair. A, a, a funny a funny side story did you read about the take a lot name how they got yeah the name? i saw that yeah, <laughs> okay okay, yeah, okay. I'll, yeah, I'll quickly yeah. tell about always heard it so so they bought take two like we said and unfortunately take two hadn't registered the take two trademark <laughs> even though they had been in business for eight years <laughs> i don't understand that okay anyway so since they didn't have the trademark they had to change the name um and then they made the name take a lot it's that's yeah i find it the strangely fir- amusing for some reason <laughs> the first choice they had was take it <laughs> <laughs> Well, the company that owned the domain wanted a hundred thousand dollars, or like we're not paying hundred thousand dollars for ticket, and but take a lot was available. Yeah. So we are take a lot. I love it. I love it. There are always all these funny stories on the internet about names. Like a company wants this name, they can't get this name, and then they just pick another name. Okay. Uh, so let, let's 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 summarize the launch story. So Take Two was one of the earliest e-commerce players in Africa. They launched in 2002. Tiger Global wanted to test their e-commerce uh, thesis in Africa, so they bought Take Two. They got a seasoned exec from Naspers. They rebranded it. They launched it in 2011, and they were off to the races. So that's the launch story. So let me also talk a little bit about some major events that happened after their launch. So. Later on, in 2011, they bought a large minority stake in Mr. D, aka Mr. Delivery. Um, and Mr. Delivery was basically a delivery platform and uh, take a lot. At the time, this was just a minority stake, so they didn't yet own it. Uh, two years later, they did a full buyout, and that full buyout enabled them to have their own logistics network and control the distribution and fulfillment of services. So they renamed it as the take a lot delivery division. Um, and they also had a food delivery service separately. So it was like not for a lot of money. They actually did something which was interesting. Full logistics network and a food delivery platform. So quite cool in 2013. Yeah. Because also Mr. Delivery, if you're in South Africa, has been something that's existed. I think it started in 1992 wow. or something. So it's been a, it's an OG, OG delivery logistics business. Like it, it, it used um, to be a phone. It, it wasn't even an internet thing. Like you would call a guy. You know, like when you used to order pizza. Call yeah. a guy. Guy will say, hold yeah. on. And then they come yeah. deliver. Like, wow. I saw I saw an interview that uh, Kim Reed gave where he was like, yeah, you, you know, you buy a logistics company expecting to have logistics tech. There was no tech. <laughs> they have phones. <laughs> <laughs> they just have phones. Like you would, like you would call, like you would call the you would call the Mister Delivery. They would call the restaurant <laughs> to see if the guy had come, and then they would, and it was, you know, this is before mobile phones become became a, a massive thing, obviously. Yeah. And then they would keep calling and then, you know, two hours later your food your food arrives. Love it. Like you don't know where things are, you don't know where things are, but you just have to keep calling and they didn't have like logistics was so they had to invest around the tech, which is what he he said, which is interesting. Yeah, maybe that's why it wasn't such a, a massive outlay to, to do the full acquisition later on because it was just a bunch of phone lines. Yeah, he seemed disappointed. He seemed like he seemed like the like I was listening to the interview. He seemed like the kind of like like those people are not serious. Which logistics? I was like, yeah. 
Okay. Okay. So, so that's 2013. Now 2014, which ended up being a massive year, a bunch of things happened. First of all, it's even it's hard to say this without using the word "wow." They raised a hundred million dollars from Tiger Global. One hundred million. So the number the number is so large that even even a few months ago, Flutterwave raised 117 million, and that's almost eight years later. It's unbelievable. It's it's so large that it's almost like, I feel like we need some more detail about like, how was it tranched? How was it broken up? Anyway, remar- remar- remarkable yeah. numbers. If, if, considering- if, if, you, if you work in Nasperas, just send a little deal docs, yes, like how yeah, was it tranched? Like- e- e- email us, info.rb.com. <laughs> so at the time, it was basically maybe 10 to 15x what other companies were raising. Just re- remarkable. Um, I guess it, it, it points to what I was saying earlier about my bias. It's just a capital intensive business. You just need a lot of money. But, anyway, but absolutely being in- early, because if you think about in 2014, when they raised this money, there was no Paystack. There was no Flutterwave. Right. I think Conga had just started. Okay, right. there was no Conga. Well, Conga had just started in 2012 or 2013. Conga so had just, yeah. I just, yeah, it just started. There wasn't really, um, like a lot of things that people think about when they think about Africa tech wasn't really that that big. And they were yes, like, yeah. Tiger Global was making counterintuitive investments at the time before it was interesting or hot enough to do so. Million. Like if you convert that to rent. Or narrow. And anyway, okay, let's keep going so we don't spend a lot of time on that. At the time, they said uh, the funds would be used for further expansion in South Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa. They never did expand outside of South Africa. So I guess at the time, they were think- thinking they were going to do something broader, but I-, I guess their plans changed. Okay, the second thing they did in 2014 was they acquired Superbellist.com, which is a fashion website. I went on the site. It seems a little bit different than what I would expect, but hey, I guess they were trying to figure out what other um, what other parts of e-commerce make sense. Fashion is particularly interesting because you can charge more, has higher margins. Um, so that was another acquisition. Um, yeah, it's also and- it's also very similar to like e-commerce. Like even in the US, like Amazon has many different sites that you wouldn't know that Amazon owns. Like Amazon owns the yes. bookdepository.com. Right, right. They own woods.com. I know. Um, so I know. So probably like that's the same kind of thing, which is like, you know, those have their different customers, but you can fulfill their orders using the same infrastructure, perhaps. I guess. I guess. Makes sense. Interesting. And then bigger news, towards the end of 2014, they merged with the second largest e-commerce player in South Africa. And the second largest player was NASPERS owned Kalahari.com. And if you remember, drum roll. Yes, it's definitely a drum roll. Because this is one of the companies that uh, Kim Reed was very, very familiar with. Because he used to run the NASPERS division there. So it's funny. Um, at the time, they built it as a merger. Uh, but <laughs> six months later, Kalahari.com was gone. It redirected Takealot.com. All the Kalahari customer accounts were transferred to Takealot.com. Almost all the employees were let go. So it was basically an acquisition. They called a merger. Um, I don't know if they changed their mind or th- that's what they originally planned to do. Um, as a result of this, Naspers ended up owning 46.5% of Takealot, which is uh, fascinating. Love love that. Love so that. They, both, they both, Tiger Global and Naspers now, so the, the Takealot and Kalahari business was now owned by... Naspers, Tiger Global, management. Yes, yes exactly. Think about it. Exactly. Although, having said that, yes, they're owned that way, but most of the voting shares were still with Tiger Global. Uh, one thing I thought was oh, fascinating was Naspers, uh, they valued their 46.5% purchase at 1.2 billion rand, which yeah. basically, if you do some rough math um, and you change for the rand value at the time, was about $125 million, which basically implies take a lot's valuation was between 250 and 300 million at the time. At the end of 2014, when when they did that stick, so fascinating. Um, a, a few quick f- funny stories. Okay, Bankley, you're gonna love this one. Remember Take Two, the initial company yeah. in 2014. Yeah. The founders they found another company <laughs> after yeah, they sold it in 2011. Yeah. I was like, that's it's like consumer electronics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Raru.com. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. R A R U. Okay. Anyway, to, to summarize the growth story, they raised a lot of money. 
Um, they bought out some of their competitors. They also got into logistics and they continued to focus on their South Africa single country focus strategy, which actually contrasts very uh, heavily with Jumia. Around this time, Jumia was in seven countries and uh, Tikala was only in one country. And if you want to read about that, you can see offerability.com slash Jumia. And then the last thing about the summary is they continue to have significant losses and uh, they mentioned they'll be profitable in five to 10 years as of 2014, which they're still not profitable, but those were the wishes at the time. So as of the 2019, they'll be profitable in two years. Ah, yes. Okay. So to 2014, they said in five to 10, 2019, they said two years. You know how it is. I mean, I said my bias before, so I'm not going to continue, but this <laughs> is not an easy business is what I'm going to say. I'm surprised that you're an e-commerce <laughs> hater. I would not guess that. Oh, no, I, I'm not a hater. I'm just saying it's a difficult... It's like we did agri agriculture, right, two weeks ago. So yeah. businesses are inherently difficult. It's better to go in, like, eyes wide open and, like, these are difficulties, these are challenges versus just saying, oh, all the businesses are the same. It's, it's not the same. I mean, they raised $100 million. So at this time, uh, Naspers and Tiger Global both owned the business along with management of the business. Yes. And in 2017, late December 2017... Naspers acquired an additional 30% of take a lot from non-controlling shareholders. Mm. So basically Tiger Global exit, right? Mm. This was a very interesting time, 2017-2018 when Tiger Global decided to exit. So Naspers ended up with 96% mm. of the business mm. and Kim Reed ended up with 4% mm. uh, of the business as well, which is mm. very, very interesting. It, it is. I thought, it I is. thought, I thought that the, the acquisition was, it's hard to parse, um, that it was it more about Naspers wanting more of it or Tiger or Global wanting out, okay. uh, and you know, and we can we can definitely talk about that for a second because if you look at what else was happening at the same time with mm -hmm. Naspers and Conga, mm -hmm. this was the same about the same time that Naspers pulled out of Conga, mm -hmm. so it's like oh pulling out of Conga and then doubling up in in uh, in take a lot. So by the way, Conga is a Nigerian e-commerce company that dream a competitor in which Naspers first invested in 2013. Yes. So in 2018 is when they sold to Xenox. Right. Um, they sold their stake in, in Conga to Xenox. Right. So, so it's, but, where, it's not that they didn't believe in e-commerce anymore. It's that they wanted to change the countries they thought had more, either the countries or the companies that had more potential. Yeah. Because in a way, Conga had fierce competition from Jumia, but like yeah. obviously Take A Lot had way weaker competition. So it sort of makes sense. But the reason it's still hard is because, I mean, Tiger Global knew that as well. So why, why would they sell? Hmm. Maybe Tiger Global wanted out. So again, the, the other thing that's happening about Tiger Global is it's possible that at that time, Having seen the numbers over five years of take a lot, you're not seeing the same kind of growth you're seeing from Flipkart or Mintra oh, yes, yes. or Ola, right? Yes. And those are the real like that's like th that is like Flipkart is the um, definitely one of the bigger oh yes indigenous oh, yeah. e-commerce success stories. Oh, yeah. Flipkart and Flipkart if you're looking at the numbers, unicorns in India, they sold for three billion to one lot. Flipkart is a, is a big deal, incomparable yeah. to, to, to take a lot. So so if if you are an investor in both and you don't see a path to for um, take a lot to give you the same kind of return you're getting from Flipkart, it's easy mm. to get your capital out, make a decent, you know, decent IRR on your capital, and then move right. on to something else. I thought that yeah. was it was fascinating because Tiger Global right. decided to leave to Nas to mm -hmm. leave, and Nasdaq mm -hmm. decided to double down. But at the same right. time, if you look at 2017, was when they closed, at least announced the acquisition of Tiger Global stake. Nasdaq announced it. 2016 was when Sim left the chairmanship of the CEO position in. In Conga, right. Uh, Twenty eighteen was when he left the company, mm -hmm. and they sold to Xenox. So it was just the same amount of time. It seemed like the same decision. It's like, what is our Africa e-commerce strategy? Right. It was clearly that we we're going to exit Conga and double mm -hmm. down on, on take a lot from right. Naspers. At yeah. least if if that was not if that was not what they said in the office meeting, that's what they did. It, we'll we'll have a I'll have a stronger opinion about this in the future, but for now, 
I think I like the way Naspers played it, especially because Naspers is number one, they're already familiar with, with South Africa. Number two, they already had a, another bet. So they could see how two different markets were evolving differently. So I, I think it makes sense. Um, I'm just curious to understand why Tiger Global had to do a full exit. Because, I mean, you can always re- you can reduce your stake, get a smaller stake. There are a bunch of different things they can do. They could even have gotten a stake in Naspers for, for a controlling stake in that one. Anyway, it, it is what it is. Fascinating. Maybe it's, just, it's just not interesting enough, you know? Like, if you're Tiger yeah. Global, you're looking for home runs. I mean, not singles. I mean, I, I said my, my bias previously, so you already know where I stand on it. But yeah. they should have known all of that when they got into this business in the first place. Oh, um, it, that's what they thought. They thought it was going to be a flip card. I'll I, I, I be very clear. They, yeah. they they did not get into take a lot thinking that it would be a, a South African e- e-commerce business. And I think it can still be that, by the way. Um, right. I'm probably more more bullish. Yeah. So I have a very different bias from Illuminate. Okay. Probably yeah. more bullish uh, yeah. here. Yeah. But anyway, at a, so as at the end of 2018, um, Naspers was out of Conga. Mm-hmm. Um, was double down. The e-commerce play here was in um, take a lot, take a lot, uh, yeah. and Tiger completely was out. double down. I mean, they completely yeah. ninety something percent, basically a hundred at that point. It's basically a rounding yeah. error. It's just them and the CEO. Yeah. yeah, and and they they are like they are completely like committed. Well, that's what they say. They're committed to to yes. this business. It's a separate separate subsidiary. Um, yeah. It's it's held in Naspers, not held in Process. Mm-hmm. And at this point, take a lot is. Stable, yes. stable, stable, wholly owned subsidiary of Naspers, fully stable as at the end of 2018. Okay, so the summary of that section was they, they continued to have a bunch of losses, uh, but eventually Naspers took full control ownership of Take A Lot. Um, they ditched their Conga stake, um, and then they combined it with other businesses to see if they could reach scale and stem losses. Because basically, the combination of Kalahari was formerly Naspers' business anyway, so it's a continuation of their, their former strategy. Okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about Take a Lot today and their general product strategy, their monetization, and some of their growth. So. I think a few things are interesting about their strategy. The first thing is their constant geographical focus. Um, it's very, very consistent. And I think it's unique in that in all the companies we've done, they've been very, very few that have stayed in the same country for, for so long. So basically it's 10 years now. and they Only the same, the same country. <laughs> yes, o- only in the same country for, for so long. And here's what a few of the executives said about this. So CEO, um, our friend Kim Reed, our superhero said, take a lot, we'll be staying put as it still sees a lot of room to grow in the local e-commerce market. That's a 2018 quote. Okay, the CMO, um, 2019 quote, she said, <clears throat> the penetration of e-commerce in South Africa is only 1%. In the US and China, it's between 10 and 15%. So although no one knows what the potential ceiling is for e-commerce activity, we think there's still a lot of gap in this market and room to grow. So I think the takeaway here is they, they actually they have a point. And it's a broader strategic question that we keep on talking about on the podcast. As an African tech startup, when do you think about doubling down on your home country versus other countries? We spoke a lot about it on um, our U-Lesson episode, where it was very critical. And we spoke a lot about it on our Jumia episode. So international expansion strategy has been interesting. Uh, a few other things about their strategy. Uh, they have local market adjustments. They make a lot of local market adjustments. Banky, did you see yeah. the pickup points announcement? Yeah, which is cool? I thought that was, I, I think that that's probably one of the most remarkable things, which is, a different way to do e-commerce that is non-intuitive for people who lived in, like people who don't live in South Africa. If you think yes. about it for a second, like they're not a traditional retailer. This is not pick. This is not click and collect. This is not where you pay online. You go collect a target. This is a completely different thing. No, no, no. This is like it's it's a okay. So definition. The pickup points are physical locations where customers can go to pick up or return orders, and it's basically an alternative to home delivery. And part of the rationale is. 
Um, some consumers may be at work. Some consumers may just prefer to have more options. Um, and for, for some consumers, it just makes sense to get it faster if they can just go to the place and pick it up. I'm not sure if I like or dislike the idea. I just like the general point that they're adjusting to fit what they think the local market needs. I think it's yeah. similar to Iroko TV's kiosks, which they ended up closing, but it, it still showed they're very nimble and they try to adjust for, for the market. I'll post a link to the uh, pickup point to some of the pickup point videos in the uh, in the show notes. <laughs> right. It's pretty fascinating. So they make a whole song and dance out of it, right? You get there, this kind of QR code. Right. They have a, an amazing spiral thing. Um, this is one of the biggest ones in um, in Joburg between Joburg and Pretoria. It's a major highway, right. um, and that is off the highway. There's a big sign. You get off the highway. You you know big parking lot. Right. You, you you take your um, you you watch your package slide down a spiral thing, oh, and it's it's you know lights and whistles and so right. it's 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 interesting. Yeah, I also like the, yeah. I also I also like the 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 practical nature of it. So being able to convert a lot of their pickup points and combine warehouses to be pickup points. Yes, and then use that for planning. And it'd be like if you could just go pick up your stuff at any Amazon fulfillment center or distribution center. Yes, uh, at scale. Yes. it's a very interesting concept. It, it is very interesting because on. like. Uh, for the audience, if you're not familiar with how FCs work, FCs are Amazon fulfillment centers. They're not in urban areas. They tend to be in um, more rural areas where they can get cheap land and cheap electricity. So you're not going to be in New York City <laughs> and go to an FC. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I guess South Africa is a completely different market. So don't be biased by the American perspective. These don't have to be in the middle of rural areas. It can be in more urban areas. Also, I I, I just think, I just like the idea that they're just in the local market. So that's another part of their yeah. strategy. Another part of their strategy is they've been expanding their third-party marketplace uh, very aggressively. Uh, I will still say it's still more heavily focused on SMB sellers, not massive businesses selling. So it would be like a person selling T-shirts versus like polo, uh, like red, rock, red, rock. red red bubble versus Nike. Etsy exactly. versus Nike. Exactly. And Adidas. Exactly. Thing. Exactly. Thank you. Thank Even you. though they have those things, by the way. Do they have it? I'm just talking about relative scale. Um, okay. So I think that's what I think about their strategy. Their business units. Their business units, the logistics network play, I think is very cool because a lot of other companies that started to have logistics network, they did that later. But these guys, their logistics dream was as soon as they launched. They launched in 2011. They did the Mr. D um, investment in 2011. Then they bought it a year later uh, or two years later. I also think that the fact that they uh, are doing food delivery is very curious because strangely enough with COVID, that's actually helped them um, continue to, to grow. So I don't know if I would say luck yeah. because they bought the company seven years before COVID is not luck, but their business yeah. units have actually given them more flexibility. Just the same way Uber Eats um, helped Uber's revenue stay off when Uber uh, yeah. ride sharing went down. So pretty cool. I also want to, want, want to like distinguish the, their delivery from like the the typical e-commerce delivery. They have, they have, they're different from something like Amazon because they're fully integrated. Like that's a, like they use their own delivery. Right. I couldn't find evidence of them using like, like the local the, post, the local network. post office yeah. or something. So they're right. fully integrated in their own delivery. They have their own entire logistics service. They also use that platform for food yes. ordering as well. Yes. It's pretty fascinating. I know. It, it, I it is pretty big. Pretty fascinating. It, it almost makes, it begs the question of, Depending on how advanced your country's postal system is, you may take slightly different routes. Because Amazon started in America, so of course, you think about USPS and FedEx. But if you start another place, you may want to do it. It just makes the e-commerce business even harder because they need to make up a whole logistics team. Um, or it makes the moats even wider and deeper. Exactly. Yes. Like, if I want to build my own e-commerce company in South Africa, I don't have to worry. I don't only have to worry about customer acquisition right. and running a business. I have to worry about delivery. Yeah. I have to pay Mr. And you have to grow Mr. Delivery's business by growing my own business, which right. is... 
<laughs> allows them to compete with me in my own business. So why right. bother? I love it. it. That's like, if I want to start an e-commerce business in South Africa, like if I want to slap on the face, basically. Okay. What? L- 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 let's do a monetization, monetization strategy. So I think uh, I'm going to talk about some of their marketplace fees because uh, that's where they make a chunk of their money. So marketplace fees, if you're a seller, you need to pay a subscription fee per month, which is 300 rand. It's like $20 rand, per month. Yeah. Uh, they also you also pay seller success fees, which is the biggest chunk of their marketplace revenues, and that basically means when you sell something, they take a chunk of the sale, obviously, which is the uh, cut from GMV to, to net revenue. And Banky, okay, so quiz time. My favorite part of the podcast always quiz time. What do you think are the most profitable and least profitable segments for Take a Lot? In other words, oh. if you're a third party seller and you sell, where do they take the highest cut of your sales? Most consumer electronics. Profitable? Consumer electronics. Is that I most or least? Uh, most profitable. I think that's fifteen percent take rate, right? Uh, consumer electronics. I saw these numbers. Consumer electronics. Okay. <laughs> consumer electronics is the lowest. <laughs> it's one of the lowest. Oh, okay. So, I definitely so have my order wrong. Least profitable is mobile and computer laptops. Mobile, they take 75 to 8.5% of the sale. Computer laptops, they take 5 to 10%. Okay. M- most profitable. Then fashion, then. Yes, fashion, fashion is one of them. One, one makeup, makeup, makeup. Like uh, they, they don't have a category called makeup. It would be under. I don't know where makeup would be under. Uh, okay, one, one more guess. How and would then I'll you, go. how would you how would you know? Um, <laughs> I guess it would be under fashion. Yeah, fashion. Okay. Uh, home appliances, I guess. Yes, home appliances. Home appliances well played. Okay, so yeah. I'm gonna go through it. I'm uh, smart. Most, I don't know if you know this. <laughs> most profitable <laughs> categories are homeware, which include furniture, utensils, etc. Fifteen percent. They take fifteen percent of the sale. Second most profitable books, which is shocking. <laughs> they take fourteen percent. And then third most profitable baby, where they take twelve to fourteen percent. Then least profitable. I already spoke about it before. Basically, mobile and computer. And that may ring a bell if there are any Jumia investors listening to this podcast. Jumia has been transitioning away from phones and first-party sales to third-party sales. So they're already trying to tweak the same profitability that um, that take a lot is. Okay, and then they have a few other fees. They have a fulfillment fee, warehouse fee. I'm not going to go through those. The biggest one is just the seller success fees. I think the key thing yeah. I will say about their marketplace fees, I looked at it relative to Amazon. I thought it would be way lower, and it's not. It's actually quite comparable a, a lot across a lot of the different segments. So cool business. Um, the key thing is not the percentages, though. The key thing is the overall number that they multiply that by. So they just need to keep on onboarding more third parties over time. I think that's a summary of their strategy and monetization piece. They they have a lot yeah. of good things going for them. It's just hard for them to make up all their capital expenditure over time, which is why they're, they're still not profitable after 10 years. So fingers crossed yeah. they continue to scale. I, I think there's there's all these investments are going to start to pay off, right? They're going to start to sweat. They have pickup points. They have yes. 55 or so. Let's pick up points. They convert. They have 50. They converted 30. Trying to convert more. Right. Um. So I I am more optimistic and less um less worried about the capital intense capital intense nature. Okay. Of a company owned by the people who own like a huge chunk of 10 cents, I think they'll be <laughs> fine when it comes to capital. Okay. Okay. I got it. Do you want to discuss anything else on their business monetization, or do you want to do competition? No, I want to do uh, just even again, like to get a sense of the relative size of of, um, of take a lot. So I saw like 15 million searches a month, 20 million visits, mm. um, pretty big, 2,000 employees. We've talked about them having 4x the revenue of Jumia. Yes. If you look at Jumia's valuation today, and if, if you went 4x that, you know, super naive, yeah. um, you get a crazy high 
They get a crazy high number. But just for the record, no one would do 4x. You you would do it based on like the actual profitability and DCF. But but yes, I I know what you mean. But yeah, you, but yeah. you know like, what's funny? Like, like all the investors in Jumia up until now have been doing <laughs> but, the same DCF but, 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 and but, the same value. But, but, but you know what's actually funny? If you did it that way, it would be more than 4x. That's why yeah, it's funny. I'm like, <laughs> because their net because the ratio of their net revenue to GMV, their take rate is higher. Um, anyway, yeah. you were saying. And 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 they're growing 30 to 50 percent a year, depending on what you talk about. Before 2017, I saw they've been growing over 90 percent a year. So. They, they're right. they're growing a lot. They have maybe thirty percent of the market and of the e-commerce market in yeah. in South Africa. If I talk about it. it, which again thirty percent of one percent, <laughs> which again is pretty massive. Numbers. Right? It's all no, but it's like thirty percent of one percent. <laughs> but that's Amazon. That was Amazon for the longest time. That was Amazon in twenty fifteen in the okay, US, true. right? Fine, so, fine, fine, fine. I, I'm just, so, I'm just making fun of it. But I have my you're bias. Just, you're a I'm hater. Saying. You're a hater. I'm, I'm a true hater. Um, they have maybe two million. Two million, two and a half million customers, I think. Okay. I see different numbers. Um, okay. I saw 1.8 from 2017, but I saw one in about 2 million, 2.5 million in 2019 okay. or 2020. Okay. Two and so there are 50 something million people in South Africa. So like yeah, five ish percent of the population. People. Okay. Goodish. Yeah. Goodish. In a very unequal, relatively poor economy, by the right, way. So right, you want right. to flip that. So it's right. probably higher. They probably have a higher percentage of their eligible customers. Exactly, of the want. income bands that, that yeah, they want the to target. Yeah, they're going after. Right, right. Um, it's impressive what they've managed to build in just one country. Uh, one quick thing. If, if you have after, if you have some time after you've listened to an hour and a half of this podcast, just go on YouTube and type in Take A Lot. The way customers describe them, I, I find it, they just seem to have a solid brand that people trust. Basically, they're the number, they're the first thing that comes to people's mind when they think about e-commerce in South Africa. So one thing to take away from this podcast is they're a very big deal, even if you haven't heard of that, heard of them. And they're such a big deal that they're the default choice when people want to buy something online in the most developed country in Africa. So add those two things together. It means a lot of potential. A lot of big business. Um, yeah. And yeah. because everybody sees the same opportunity, they're not letting them rest. <laughs> competition. Um, okay. So it's competition a little bit, right? So Jumia is in South Africa. They have a South African website. They have a, an affiliate subsidiary called Zando. Mm -hmm. But they're relatively small. Like... Yeah, like the CEO of, uh, but you could tell, you could always tell. I really like listen to CEOs when they ask them a question. They, they have, there's like this three second gap in the beginning of when, no, like two milliseconds gap in the beginning when they hear a question mm -hmm. where you can tell what they really think. Which yeah. is like, oh, what do you From think about human's violation? And it's like, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, Kim. I know, I know. Um, but Jumia is, very small in South Africa. I think from his perspective, they are there to say that they're there. If right. you listen to the CEO say so. And right. it doesn't, even from the data, from search volume, just don't see a lot of people right. in South Africa searching for Jumia. Also, you should well. know that the subsidiary they have is mostly focused on fashion e-commerce, not like, like they don't sell the full breadth of things. So just by definition, of course, they're going to be smaller because they can't, they don't have what people want. No, but they also have a Jumia.coza website now and they have a bunch of, it looks like they have the same things. Um, right. that e-commerce, not just the fashion stuff. Right. But even then, that's right. how you know that it's still small, right? Comparatively, Jumia is bigger in headline numbers. Yes. Um, so Jumia has, you know, last, I don't know, last, last report was 6.8 6 million customers mm -hmm. compared to say 1.9 for Take A Lot as yes. of 2019. Um, Jumia customers are growing 10, 12%, but Jumia GMV is dropping off a cliff. Right. Um, went down twenty percent. And year. also, the, the the net revenues are higher. So even if if you look that there are a bunch of numbers, the numbers that make the most sense are profits, but none of them have profit. So let's use numbers that make the second most amount of sense, yeah. which is net revenues, and it's way higher for 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 take a lot. 
But also to be clear, competitors here, Jumia is not a competitor for um, Take a Lot. They're not it's in the same. I mean, it's not a primary tech, competitor in South yeah, Africa. It's not a primary competitor. It's not right. a primary competitor. Yeah. So in South Africa in particular, there's something called Bid or Buy, which I talked about a little, a little bit earlier. They are an auction site very similar to eBay. Mm. You get in, it started in 1999. They say they have 1.6 million users. So it's pretty oh, wow. big. They have almost the same uh, amount of users as Take a Lot. Yeah, but it's very different. So they don't, they don't hold the inventory. Of course. They, they're basically just a platform to connect buyers and sellers. Right. And but, but, but they, on that, you know, it always starts like that. But then because the second player in this case, Take A Lot, has a third-party marketplace, over time, they start to converge. Um, so, yes, they're different because one of them only is a third-party marketplace. But the second one is both a first-party and third-party. So they start off on different places, but then inevitably, they, they start to compete. There's also Amazon. Mm. What is happening, and one of the challenges for even entrepreneurs in Africa is once you try to serve the cream of the market, you start competing with international brands. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to serve Illumide in Lagos, Illumide is going to you know, get his music from Spotify and For get sure. his card from MX, etc. Because a lot of the people who are wealthy yeah, will have um, access to foreign markets and foreign things and or foreign expectations of things that they want or very specific. So right. Amazon doesn't have a specific South African site, um, which is very different. When Amazon launches, they have a country site. Right. But they have a S- Amazon global service where you can buy exactly, and, and then have stuff shipped. Right. Um, and it's pretty cool. So if you shop on Amazon in South Africa, apparently Amazon Global Selling gives you um, a quote. Um, and if it's Amazon provides an approximation of how much it would cost for import duties and VAT. Right. If it's if it's less, right. um, they give it to you. But if it's more, they eat the cost. Right. Which is, I thought was very interesting. Oh, that's, that's incentivize good. people to, yeah. it, to shop more. It's funny, like as a South African shopping from Amazon, basically you have more things for sale. You have more variety than take a lot, obviously, but you have higher shipping fees. Uh, so yeah. it's like the balance of like it's 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 competitive but not fully competitive because the shipping fees tend to be a lot if unless you're buying a lot of things. So, but the difference is if you are Illumide in South Africa, you want the book, not a book. You know, you right. want the thing, not a thing. You right. want a specific brand of thing, and you're willing to pay premium for it. Right. Um, so that that. It, let's see how that pans out. Let's see how Amazon is able to compete in that yes. market. Because if I want something, I want that thing. I don't want right. the thing I can get quickly. Okay, so we should unpack that a little bit. You're raising a good point in that. So we said Take a Lot has some proportion of um, South Africans, and I think it was like 5%. But they've already taken the higher income part, because obviously the higher income people are more likely to use e-commerce. So they're even more susceptible to those people trying to use Amazon because it's not, it's not everyone in society. It's the people that already want something. So it's like an interesting, interesting thing to see evolve. Like, will their specific customer segment want to start to do things even higher level or will it be faster for them to move down market and provide it to more people? Like, I, I believe that the question is, can take a lot grow their inventory quicker than to meet their customer's preferences quicker exactly. than Amazon can? Exactly. Because customer preferences are going to be diverse. Right. Um, but if I want to find a specific kind of cooking book, and I'm in South Africa, I'm willing to import it, as many right. of the wealthy people do in South right. Africa as well, right. and wait as long as it takes. So I need a specific thing. Like just, which happens when I was in Nigeria. You want some right. things in Nigeria that are, you know, you look on the website, it's $20. You know, you, you import it and pay 20 bucks or you can right. pay like, you know, 2x the price in Naira to get it today. But, yeah, but, but okay, having said all this, realistically though, you can challenge these guys from America, right? You need a local, like, you can like, no, no, the no, global no, stuff, no. It, it's a patchwork of things, but it's not sustainable for a long-term competition. Oh. It, it, it's not going to work in the long term. They also need to have a, a local presence if they're going to compete directly, right? And the, Yeah, absolutely. And the, But the CEO believes that Amazon will not enter anytime soon. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like it's be- like Stripe and Paystack. They shouldn't even enter. Just buy, take a lot. Like I would be shocked if not they, they, for sale. 
everything is for sale if you have money. Okay, but let's leave that to the side. I would be shocked if a company thinks they can get into South Africa and directly compete with take a lot of e-commerce. Because yes, you could win, but how much money, the amount of money you're going to need to pay to marketing, branding, capital intensive, fulfillment centers, logistics, you may as well just have bought them. And even after you pay all those things, you may still not win because you still have to compete with them after you've paid for those things. So the build versus buy decision would be hard to make work, but let's see. I've been I've been wrong before. Uh, for the audience, the specific comparison is Flipkart. So Amazon and Walmart were in a bidding war, and then Walmart bought Flipkart, and then Amazon tripled down on their investments because they didn't want to triple down. They had to triple down when Walmart bought it. So I hope no one is going to go into South Africa and directly compete. That would be a lot of money. But let's that see. would be a lot of capital created, a yeah. lot of jobs created, a lot of money <laughs> in the market. Yeah. Move, 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 move to South Africa. Live in Cape Town. Work for. <laughs> take a lot. Okay. Okay. A- Amazon, else? please. <laughs> Amazon, please. <laughs> bill, bill me, bill me out. <laughs> Get me out of this. No, no. Okay. I think I think the the competition competition is mm-hmm. is going to be a a big question. We'll talk about it in our more in our in our final thoughts. I think. Right. Uh, okay. I also had some very quick thoughts on uh, non traditional e commerce competition. Basically, earlier I said. Only about one to two percent of retail is actually happening online, which basically means, and I always tell Bankali this, so Bankali knows, the primary competition is status quo, aka apathy, for almost all African startups. In this specific mm-hmm. case, status quo and apathy basically means offline retail. So that's the real competition. And I guess I'm very optimistic that over time, it's very, very likely they'll continue to win. The only reason I'm a bit down on it is going to take so long. Like it went from 0% to 1% in 10 years. Hopefully COVID has accelerated that, but it's a hard battle to fight against offline. Having said that, there are some massive offline retail players that are starting to move online. So JD Group, um, they launched something called Every Shop a few months ago, and every shop is basically a direct competitor to take a lot. So not only at the offline competitors competing offline, they're also coming online with a lot of money. Because this is like a capital intensive business, like we said a billion times, but they have a lot of money. Mass Smart, they're also trying to focus more on their mobile first, quote unquote, shopping online experience, and so on and so yeah. forth. So there are a bunch of examples of people doing different things. Um, but yeah, that's their primary competition. Offline, offline retail, aka apathy, aka status quo. Yeah. I, I you know, it's, I like it when I try to think about what would happen, I think about this in terms of like what the customer's job job to be, be done. done is. Like what right. what is the customer trying to do here? Yeah. I don't think the customer is trying to do e-commerce. No, no, definitely, not, to, no, definitely not. They're trying to you know they're trying to get, get what they want as as quickly yeah. as quickly and as cheaply as possible. As possible. And if you know that and then you know what they're competing against and you know one, who is your customer and what are they selling and two what are they competing against. Mm-hmm. I then it allows you to feel very like positive about them. If if they're Customers are currently like meeting their needs by going to um, pick and pay and then walking through the aisles for 20, you know, or going right. to this five retailers to check for the same like headphone right. boom or whatever, right. like stand or whatever. Um, hmm. That becomes very interesting here. Well, because well, they, okay, can, can you clarify? Are you saying there's an opportunity to provide the yeah. customers a better experience? Or are you saying the opportunity is very well served by existing players? Just clarify no, for me. I'm saying the opportunity is going to um, is only going to grow or be better because of how you define a customer's jobs to be done. Is right. that like if the job is to do e-commerce, it's gonna be hard. I don't think that's a job. I think the job is to get what you want, is to get what you want as quickly, as cheaply as possible. Right. And if you're willing to do that, you can realize that the other options are just worse, right? And then the question is, can they do it profitably? Right. And given their investments, maybe they can. And it allows you to be like, hey, right. 
I so love it. Something there. I feel like, should we summarize it? We've already started summarizing. Should we do it? Yeah. I think you've yeah, already started. Let's do, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Go for okay, it. so a couple of parts of my summary. So okay. one is around uh, e-commerce, um, mm-hmm. two, competition. Mm-hmm. And finally, I'm bullish. I just want to explain why I'm a bit bullish. Which is I love you. Can't you. Tell. Probably has mm-hmm. bullets for once. I'm excited. Okay, now that I have bullets, I'm excited. Go ahead. You're just, you're just a hater. Um, I'm not a hater. Anyways, <laughs> so for e-commerce, I think e-commerce continues to be an opportunity the charts are going up onto the right. I think that a lot of what has happened in other markets that are structurally different, like India has a different kind of platform, different kind of investments, different kind of, as we call it, like the access stack mm-hmm. that allows the growth trajectory to be steeper um, than it has been in Africa. But mm-hmm. I think that doesn't deny, deny the extent of the opportunity. Um, here, I always like being right and early is, is indistinguishable from being wrong. Hmm. Like, Kalahari, Bidobai, Take Two, mm-hmm. hell, even Conga. Mm-hmm. It's almost like this situation where if Conga had the numbers they had in 2016 and 2019, they would have raised a lot of money, you know, um, mm-hmm. if they stayed alive while Jumia was raising and they were still a, a credible number two. Because in 2016, right. Jumia was bigger, Conga was bigger than Jumia mm-hmm. in 2016. Um, it makes you think, just reflecting on e commerce or Africa startups, is the most important thing. Is staying alive because sentiment, you know, momentum is a cruel mistress, and it turns. So right. even when it looks dark, if you're in a, like if you're a bid or buy or um, or any of the other smaller retailers in South Africa, and you're still alive, you have domain authority, right. you have a business, you right. can still make some money because you might stay alive and keep yourself right. capital capital right. lean and, and, see, and over see, time. That's why this is tricky because staying alive, they're basically two different routes. Number one, staying alive is just be profitable. If you're profitable, you don't have any issues. Because you're making money, you can you can continue being profitable forever, right? Because the bottom line is positive. Second part of staying alive is just raising a lot of money. If you continue yeah. to raise money, then it doesn't matter. You just continue to raise money. So I think yeah. for for hmm, for e-commerce, it's particularly difficult to do either of those two, two things. That's why it makes it even harder. Yeah. But keep going with your summary. I'll come back to it yeah. at the end. Because yes, think, being yeah. profitable is super hard. We spoke about raising a lot of money. Yes, but that's winner take all. Inevitably, the investors will be like, oh, let's only give money to this player, not this other one, and they just wait for scale yeah. benefits. So it's trickier. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very, I also feel like a lot of African entrepreneurs usually have to make a choice very early between being big and being profitable because they're in direct opposition, even more so than they are in the West. Like you, to be big and profitable is a very hard thing to do, especially in Africa, in startups in general, yeah. but especially in Africa tech. Like yeah. some things just take time, right. right? E-commerce is just going to take time. You cannot. Correct. You cannot capitalize yourself into profits. So, you can so, be big and not be profitable. You're right. That's why the selection criteria to first of all pick what business you're in is yeah. so important because by the time you get in, then it's too late. And the selection of, oh, should I be in payment or should I be yeah. in fintech or agritech or, or, or edtech? That's so critical because the very nature and the dynamics of the industry will nudge it to yeah. be more difficult. Um, so yeah. I mean, we spoke about agritech. Yeah. It would be very yeah. hard to be super profitable early in agritech, right? Because you, you, you need to, to invest. So you might, you might not want to be in be it. Big. Or you should therefore, be big. <laughs> it's, you know, so like, so in e-commerce, therefore, be big. The logical thing is to do what Jimmy is doing and raise all this money. Yeah. Therefore, yes. be big. Don't be profitable. Right. Be big. Because you cannot be profitable almost, right? Be but big. But if you say be big, it means your existence is heavily dependent on investor sentiment. So it's, it's slightly out of your hand. When you're profitable, it's more in your hand, right? You can cut the cost, go for cost. Investing is like more of a narrative, big, a story, and a belief. Hire a chief marketing officer. Eesh. Right, appear on TechCrunch Disrupt. Oh, okay. All right, you were going right. your summary. I interjected. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, no, I, but that's a, it's an important conversation. It's like, are you trying to be big or be profitable? And I think mm-hmm. that they are just in opposition. And 
you should you should be sure you are choosing because if you don't choose and you stay in the middle, right. that's how you get shot. Right. Yeah. Um, but but just to emphasize, they're in direct opposition, depending on what sector you go into. If you look at Paystack. Paystack was always profitable and they were doubling yeah. over year. So they were both. But that's because of the nature of the industry, right? Some yeah. other industries is highly unlikely you can do that. So the selection is yeah. even more, more you important. Can't, you can't do big and profitable in some other industries. Exactly. Like you can, exactly. like with Paystack, because you're like infrastructure business and like percentage, you can invest exactly. and you can like, exactly. you can basically be cash flow positive exactly. Exactly. Uh, on a unit basis. Um, anyways, moving on. Cool. Second, second piece is the competition piece. So it's happening. It's happening in the West. The big retailers also have like, you know, tech, the big retailers, the pick and pinko also have tech crunch. Mm-hmm. And they also, you know, they also follow the, you know, watch Silicon Valley. They can, they can see the news. They can see what's happening with Target and Co in the US. And they're coming like, uh, ShopRite has an app. There's number two shopping app in South Africa behind tech a lot nice. called 6060. Yeah. They're coming after them basically. And the thing that they have, the retail chains that they have, in theory, better data. In theory, mm-hmm. in in theory, more outlets for more things. So Walmart, is, like Walmart in the US, can do pickup and delivery at their stores, and you can do groceries and you do other things. Right. And making use of the, of their physical locations and bullying, moving on omni-channel. So that's going to be continually big. Right. But it's a different company. Mm. I really believe in company DNA and execution and prioritization. But I struggle with these companies. It's classic disruption. You know investing 25% of their, of your investment target in their e-commerce, 50% of their investments in their e-commerce versus right. building 55 new stores in, in, in Pumalanga. Right. right. Um, it, it, especially when uh, there may be some cannibalization that's happening in the background because yeah. the most profitable customers for the physical stores since have high incomes, they would also like yeah. e-commerce. But then what's yeah. the margin differential of switching? Uh, now, like why, why I'm bullish? So a couple of reasons I'm bullish. One is Naspers. Like Naspers has, Naspers knows African retail as a company, right? As, a, as an investment arm, Back in Kalahari super early, um, having a bunch of other portfolio companies. And they have their portfolio companies work with each other. So another interview with the CEO was casually like, oh, talking to some other retailer in Aspects portfolio in Poland or something. Like, hmm. interesting. So they do have them like share notes and do lessons. And I believe that emerging markets are more similar but they're just in different stages of evolution um, mm-hmm. compared to one another. And Aspects is like a secret superpower for take a lot that doesn't get talked about from like Operational experience and like mm. relationships, connections, etc. Mm. The second thing is capital. E-commerce is hard and expensive. Tell me but so again, know. if Naspers is committed to this, as they have clearly shown that they are, right? right? Do you want even if you're Amazon, do you want to compete with Naspers? Like yeah. that's a different, you know, Naspers is very positive about the whole market. Right. Do you want to, do you, what is your ability to compete well, with Naspers? What choice they have, but not to be committed to it at this point. They have to be committed to it, whether they, they like it or not. It, it's sort of like, if, if you already have nine children, you have to take care of your children at that point. You're not going to be like, oh, maybe if I had three children, my life would be better off. Like Naspers has no choice at this point, right? The only yeah. choice they have is to spin it out and then like list it and then, and then get some money. But it's, it's not like they have a bunch of decisions. They're stuck. So you, you frame it as a positive. I frame it as it just is what it is. I, I actually frame it as a positive, positive for the future of my future outlook on Tech A Lot. In that like they have a rich sugar daddy that likes them a lot. That helps. <laughs> we, we need an allowance. That helps. Okay. Um, because e-commerce is hard. There's so many dead bodies in e-commerce oh, in Africa. So, you know, so much I, like... I, I started my bias. You know, so start. much scale, so much investment required, so much capital required. But like Naspers, Naspers has a lot of good options ahead of it, right? Mm-hmm. They can spin it out. They can raise that, debt, the not an entity. That's they the can one. IPO it. They can accept additional investment. They can draw down their stake, bring Tiger Global back for different valuation. Mm-hmm. Just like... There's different things they can do that they haven't done yet that I think is making 
that could make foreign companies have like competitors just pause. Mm-hmm. Because if you go poke the gorilla, I mean, they're just growing. If you go poke the gorilla right. and they'd be like, $500 million fundraise, everybody's like, well, I guess, I, I guess it is. I don't, what it think, is. <laughs> I don't think our Africa budget is that big. Right. <laughs> it's going to pull out, right? So, um, I'm, I'm overall, I'm bullish because of, because of NASPERS and, and, and the overall market trends. Yeah. I'm glad NASPERS was one of our earliest episodes, uh, episode five for the audience. Uh, it, it's really is a very important company, not just because it's the most valuable company, um, in Africa, um, but because of its influence on other companies. Like, I think we're going to do yeah. at least six other companies and all of them are in some way connected to us and Aspers. Fascinating company. Yeah, okay. we, we always we always give them so much stick for not investing enough in Africa. Right. But I think they've, 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 they invest a ton. Yeah, it, the reason I give them stick is because all their investments are heavily skewed before uh, 2015. Uh, so they do follow on investments, what they did for 2015. But in terms of new investments, they have a, a, a lot a lot lacking, to, to be honest. So for example, this company, they just kept on doing follow on investment for what they did before, but it wasn't new. And all the examples almost always fall in that category. But a- anyway, um, my d- did you finish your overall thoughts? All done. All done. Okay, all okay. my thoughts. Feel, feel free to jump in. Consumers, uh, entrepreneurs, yeah. bear case and bull case. Consumers want very short and sweet. As a consumer, um, as a South African trying to buy stuff, I think it's fabulous. It's fabulous for two reasons. Historically, um, they had e-commerce way earlier than other African citizens. Um, and way, way earlier. they also had better internet infrastructure. So it's a combination of having options, better internet infrastructure. They've always had options and it's only going to get uh, better. If you look at all the competition, they're going to have more and more options to get what they want for a good price. And that's, and I'm only talking about direct competition. I'm not even talking about potential new entrants and the Amazon stuff they can get internationally. So I think it's great. Um, number two, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I feel like I have so many categories here. Normally for entrepreneurs, I just say thank you, but they're different people to thank. Shout out to Tiger Global for taking an initial risk in this market. I have a lot of respect for them. On one hand, some people could be like, well, they just did what they did in India, but they didn't have to. And if you sum up all the investments they did, it was hundreds of millions of dollars, which if you take into account inflation, and if you take into account the amount of money we need now, it would almost be like four, three or four X that. So thank you for coming to this market um, and for setting the ball rolling. A, a lot of respect to what they did back in 2011 and to 2014. Number two, props to Kim Reed, man. I mean, we didn't talk about this. Uh, he's on the verge of stepping back to become the chairman versus CEO, but just he built this from the start, from 2011 to 2021. And I saw an article that they've had uh, above 20 above 20% revenue growth for 10 years in a row. Now, as a startup, you may criticize, oh, it should be 5x, 10x. I don't care. I just think it's been fabulous what he did. And he set them up to be in this position. So a lot of respect. And I hope the new executives, whoever they hire, can continue to build on the momentum. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's going to bring in somebody internal is what I saw. But I'm, I'm such a big fan because I, I, I went on a rabbit hole preparing for this episode, listened to a ton of his interviews. Mm. And I'm honestly just taken by his very clear vision, articulation of what his business does and what his competitive advantage is. Right. Um, and how he's going to win. And it's been consistent over time yeah he's a straight shooter he's a straight shooter and like i was very impressed by that right and then uh last group to thank in entrepreneurs much respect to naspers i think if you look of when they did the full acquisition they've been a good steward of what kim and tiger global built um nothing really rocked the boat it was just a continuation of what they did before and that's in terms of both investments which is a lot of money and also in terms of just know-how and connections like you were saying before so thank you thank you to all the entrepreneurs all the superheroes for for getting this ball going NASPAS would seem like a good like VC part like given like you know they buy the double down and and if you compare it to their other investments and Swiggy and all the other things they're doing globally that are pretty massive and require billions of dollars in investment but still managing to take care of the smaller ones as well exactly Um, like they also have another retailer in uh, 
Romania and Poland called Imag. Yes, um, yes, that, yes. That that is One the same biggest. as well. But they're super. You know, they're there. They're committed. It's not yes. like a. Well, it doesn't feel from the outside at least like a stepchild or like a right. smaller child. Right. Which is and, interesting. And they're also like. All the execs are full CEOs with full autonomy. So it's not like they're there lurking in the background. They have a lot of control. So they're much less like business units and more like independent companies. Um, okay, so that's the entrepreneur's piece. So bear case, bull case, bear case. <laughs> bear case is longer than the bull case. I wonder why. Okay, so bear case. First thing wow. is increased competition from local players. Um, and we spoke about this before. Just to summarize, there are a lot of um, South African retailers just starting to get into the space. I'm not sure how successful they'll be, but it's interesting to see because they already have a lot of money. So let's see what happens there. Second thing is um, increased competition from international sources. I put Jumia as an international source, which is funny because they're an African company. But okay, Jumia, Amazon, Alibaba. Strangely, Amazon and Alibaba are hardly doing anything in this market. Jumia is doing something a little bit, but let's just see how all the competition changes things. Honestly, even though I put this as a beer case, I think they have a pretty solid position. And I'm not optimistic that a lot of this competition will make any difference. It's mostly going to be better for the consumers that have more options. But it's still a beer case because... These companies have a lot of money and the markets can change very quickly. Second piece, the executive changes can break the momentum of the company. So not only is Kim Reed stepping back, like we already said, the CFO is also stepping back. So it's a bit, I mean, hopefully they've thought about this. Normally executives have like a good structure and they've thought transition about, new plan. yeah, they have a good transition plan. I think it should be fine, but it's something for people to think about. Why? Because the next part of the bear case is increased government scrutiny. A few months ago, the Competition Commission in South Africa announced, quote unquote, we'll be actively investigating take a lot and implementing any necessary measurements, any necessary measures to prevent the abuse of dominance and power. So it's not Nigeria where the government is going to completely screw them. But the framing of this sounds quite bad. Um, let's see what they do. Hopefully, after 10 years, they built a lot of connections and relationships and nothing actually happens. But it is one, part, one, it's, it's, one, one word, NASPERS. Yeah, it, it's, it's part of, of the bear case because we're, we're trying to be um, um, conclusive. Um, and then the last piece of the bear case is just what I've said a bunch of times. If they find it increasingly difficult to find other market segments that are more profitable and they continue to double down on e-commerce, it's just going to take a very long time for them to break through to the other side of the chain. They're patient, but unless they find something... Pro okay, the exact example would be... So Amazon is an e-commerce company, obviously. Nothing nothing groundbreaking there. But they have other lines of business which are way more profitable. So the company as a whole looks magnificent. But if you looked at just some segments of it, it would look much worse. But these guys don't have that. They have that a little bit with the food delivery, but it's not of the same scale. The food delivery is a smaller part of the business compared to the e-commerce. So hopefully they can find something else. Otherwise, it's just going to be a long time coming, the profitability and growth. I saw an article, which I'll link to in the show notes, about somebody, really great analysis about... Uh, Fantasy M and A in South Africa's retail sector, and oh. it's like if MassMart buys Take a Lot and becomes oh. Game a Lot, it's not funny. Game. <laughs> and the idea is basically Take a Lot building out a massive advertising business um, because they don't have an advertising business, and they're one of the obviously one of the most traffic sites in South Africa. Exactly, so, exactly. So building out like, an advertising business or and advertising has very high margins. Yeah. Yes. Partnering with retail, also all of all of a sudden, way more pickup points, way more retail. Yes. Doing which they started to do. Yes. Earlier on, I couldn't figure out. We still do. Handling using Mister Delivery to handle like delivery um, back end delivery for a bunch yes. of former retailers. Yes. So yes. Yeah. A couple of other things that they can definitely do. Yeah. So yeah. exactly. So that's so my bear case is if they do not do any of those things and they just stick to the core thing and the core thing is super hard to make work. Luckily, this yeah. core thing always has a lot of adjacencies. The more profitable, so basically, we got advertising. Amazon is. I saw an article third. Big 
biggest advertiser in America. Where did that come from? Wow. And then also cloud. Obviously, I don't think TakeLot is going to do cloud. The point is not to copy Amazon. The point is, what other adjacent businesses, since we already have all this mindshare, can we do this more profitable? So let's see. So that's the bear case. That was a lot. Let's do the bull case. Let me close. So bull, bull case. <clears throat> First thing is, um, I think they have some opportunities to do things different, like introducing logistics as a service for other third-party businesses. Yeah. That would be cool if they could do that. Um, Jumia did that, and a bunch of other uh, e-commerce companies in developing countries have done that as well. So let's see if that's something they plan to do. It tends to be profitable. It tends to be more profitable because you already have the capital expenditure, and you just have like a wider revenue base to distribute it over. So it has a lot more potential to use it for everything. So that's one thing I hope they do. Maybe they're not going to do it. It would be interesting as a bull case. Another thing is if they can scale the third-party marketplace to have way bigger businesses. So right now, they have a lot of SMBs. And I think because the third-party marketplace is more profitable than the first-party place, if they can get more business there, it would adjust the whole profit yeah. margin of the dynamics of the business. Um, hopefully, that's something they can do. It seems doable, but TBD, how well they scale that. The third piece, which would be amazing, but I don't think it's going to happen, is if they can introduce a payment service, a payments layer. And the reason I put this here is e-commerce and payments are always interlinked, obviously, because people are paying to check out. Unfortunately, in this case in South Africa, the payments ecosystem is already pretty advanced. The biggest player there is yeah. PayU, which is owned by Naspers. <laughs> and they're the, they're the gateway part of the stack. And the gateway part of the stack is the, is one of the most attractive pieces. So I don't think it's going to happen. It would be interesting if there was some combination or something they could do there, but it's part of the bull case, but uh, highly unlikely. Um, and then the ultimate bull case, I like, of course. I like, I like how your assessment is at a ticket lot level. I'm at the Naspers level, bro. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, because the, name, like, the name of the, the episode it, is to take a lot. So. Yeah, but I, I'm like I'm like the Naspers edge is definitely where the, where the inside is at. I I I I have no issues with Naspers. I'm a number one fan, but I'm talking about take a lot. So the, right, we need fine. to do what we do. Fine, and the the ultimate bull case, which is always the bull case for all e-commerce players. Same thing for Jumia is acquisition. Because the great thing about acquisitions is they just wipe away <laughs> they wipe away all the bad news. They just pay you a bunch of money. Like I read an article, the Flipkart was losing three uh, x the amount of money. Do, if you look at the 10 years for the acquisition, they were losing 10x, uh, 3x as much money and Walmart still bought them. So it's, it's almost like if you can sweet talk someone to buy you, it doesn't matter how much money you've lost. As long as you have like a synergy case and a story case, it could actually quite work. So ultimate bull case acquisition. Get big. E-commerce uh, is a get big business. Definitely right? get, get big. It's high risk because if no one buys you, you have to continue to eat the losses. But if someone buys you, you're fine. So risky, but it's ultimate bull case. Acquis um, it would be Amazon or Alibaba, obviously. Normally, I would say Alibaba is a better fit because they're in a developing market. They're bigger in developing markets. But in this case, because Alibaba only does third-party marketplace and uh, Take-A-Lot does both, maybe Amazon would be the better fit. Normally, people say Amazon doesn't typically buy companies in developing countries wrong because yeah. they bought uh, Souk for $580 million in the Middle East. And they actually have a bunch of acquisitions. They almost bought Flipkart, like I said, but they lost out. And they're like 16 different companies they bought in developing markets. So let's see. Hopefully, that'd be a great exit. I just... I just don't know. It's the ultimate bull case. So I think with that, that is my that is my summary. Bull case, bear case. I like the souk point, which is basically like I, I was my instinct was to say Amazon is not gonna buy them, but then they bought souk, they buy souk. five eighty million dollars. Yeah. And they, they may even be some additional earnouts to make that number even bigger. And that was almost yeah. uh, four years ago. Yeah. Huh. So you have to adjust Interesting. that. Interesting. Yeah, I know. Now, now, of course, for the audience, Souk is not really in Africa, than the Middle East, but the Middle East and North Africa, they're big in Egypt. So there is some yeah. connection. The bigger thing is just like, will you buy a company that already has way more, way more market knowledge and market power versus trying to come into the, the country? I can't, so can't how, imagine how, trying to compete how can I, with Take-A-Lot. How can I invest in, in, how in can I get some of this, invest in Naspers, right? 
That's you can invest, you yeah, yeah, to. of course you can invest in it. But when you invest in Asperger's, it's really ten cent. <laughs> you're not getting as much take a lot. Ten cent, Swiggy. Yeah, exactly. I won't take a lot. I won't take a lot. How do I do that? So we're back after that summary. Recommendation, small wins. Yeah, recommendation. So I read this book um, last week called "Living the Tarmac" by Aigboje mm. uh, Aigimokrede. Basically, Nigerian banker. Bought a small bank, worked in GTB very early, bought a small bank and grew it to be one of the biggest banks in Africa, Access Bank. Uh, and it told, it's basically his career story, but how he bought the bank and the things they went through. It's a great, it's a great book because I think you learn a lot about people by how they describe their success or explain their success. Also, you learn about like how business and banking works in Nigeria. A bit light on the details you really care about, like, you know, where did the money come from type stuff, but, um, <laughs> That's worth reading book. nonetheless. That's worth reading nonetheless. It, it, please, it's called Living the Tarmac. Please tell me it's short and sweet. Is it short and sweet it's or short, long It's short. It's like a couple hundred pages, like 200 pages. It's oh, fine. 200 pages. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very preachy as well. Hard work. You know, Standard. Type stuff. Yeah, Standard preachy book. So it's good. That's probably one recommendation. The other book I read is something, this Bring Back Our Girls. It's a very... Um, about Boko Haram? The book, yeah, Boko Haram, about the whole abduction of the Chipbok girls and behind the scenes and the negotiations. You know, it really makes you reflect on Nigeria and see a different part of Nigeria than the major cities. But I'll, mm. I'll put links to both books in the, in the show notes as well. So, so the context behind these books, for some reason, you got hardcore into Nigerian history, cultural books the past couple of weeks. What's the context behind that? Or oh, is it just a coincidence? It's, it's the first time you've ever recommended two straight books from the same country yeah. before. Yeah, coincidence? I think it's a coincidence. I think it's a coincidence. coincidence. I think I probably switched to reading both of these books on Kindle. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, probably a coincidence. Okay. Uh, these are like two Kindle books. Okay, my two recommendations are Super Forecasting by Phil Tetlock. Cool book. Uh, basically, the context of the book is it talks about um, super forecasting and thinking about ways to predict um, events and things like that. If, honestly, I think I'm going to post both an article and the book. Because as I read the book, I'm like, most of this can just be an article. It falls in one of those categories. So if you read the article yeah. and you really like it, you can buy the book. I already read the book. I think it's really cool, especially the mental frameworks. And like, he was very intellectually honest about like, okay, predicting the future is super hard, obviously, basically impossible. But if there's mm -hmm. some tight parameters around, okay, over the next nine months, I believe yeah. XYZ is going to happen. And then you think about that. So he, he's, his basic thinking is if you put some... Um, boundaries and constraints, and you're trying to ask targeted questions, there's some mental models yeah. that can make you think about that. So for example, we talked about the base rate. So if it's like likelihood of a, an assassination happening in, let's say, country X, you can see like, okay, what's the average um, number of assassinations per year over history? So that's the base rate. Um, and then you can adjust the base rate up or down, and then local yeah. sources of international. It's just, it's a cool way to, to think about things if you like stuff like that. So I'll add that to the show notes. Uh, second one, Profit First. <laughs> it's funny because the book, the book is very apt to this episode. Profit First is by uh, Mike uh, Michalowicz, Michaelowitz. Okay. Um, and it's basically a book talking about how entrepreneurs should think about balancing profitability versus growth. And basically, you can tell from the title of the book what side he's on, firmly on the side of profits. And he, he preaches, preaches, wrong word. He, he, he talks about um, a strategy where as you're running your business, you should pull out the profits first and allocate like four or five accounts. One of them is your operating accounts. And that'll make you think more actively about your profitability versus waiting for profits to come less, in which case it's much more likely you'd be broke. Great, great book. Um, very, very yeah. useful for, for uh, developing markets entrepreneurs, I would say. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've also, that's very interesting. I've also, last couple of weeks, I've, uh, my partner and I have been watching a lot of apocalypse movies. It's probably mm. like, we don't watch a lot of movies. The only things we watch are apocalypse movies. Oh, I, Favorite actor is Gerard Butler. <laughs> okay. <It's> like, <laughs> from, I don't know from if you, 300. 
Yeah, his face is just beautiful. Like, like <laughs> so we watched, we watched Geostorm. It's pretty about is. like it's weird. The, the movies are not great, but Jerry okay. Butler in End of the World movies is basically like the best thing you could ever do. Okay, and he's always um, the like main protagonist. The actor, yeah, the, yeah, the main protagonist okay. trying to save the world. Okay. Like he was a space astronaut in Geostorm. <laughs> I watched Greenland as well. Uh, it was like a nuclear space and astronaut. Thing. Just astronaut. Yeah. There's only one type of astronaut. <laughs> yeah, he's Jared Butler is basically the Jared Butler of our times. Um, <laughs> That's great. I will I will I will always add one Jared Butler apocalypse movie to American Conventions every week because I, I think the world needs to know this. Between Jared Butler and Nicolas Cage, <sighs> movies would never be the same again. Um, the one for this week is uh Geostorm. Go watch it. Geostorm by IMDB score. You already know how I roll, man. I don't even no, I don't. The IMDb score is going to be so bad. I'm sure it's going to be so bad. I can only imagine. But, but the way you described it, it makes me think it's going to be five or six point something. So hard pass. Yeah. Hard pass. Um, let, me, let, me, let me just check. 5.3. I called it. I called it horrible. <laughs> IMDb has <laughs> okay. voted. Okay. Small wins. Uh, my small win was I had a great long dinner with some friends in Old Havana, which is like a Cuban district in Miami on Friday. It was awesome. Fun conversations. Um, and one of them was a management consultant, so very easy to relate. And then his partner was, uh, she worked in a school district. So just some of the stories. I always, I like enjoying, um, I like having conversations with people with different backgrounds. It gives you a very different perspective about how they look at different life decisions uh, versus I yeah. tend to look at things a certain way from my own background. So it was fun. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, have you gotten va- vaccinated? Oh, yes. Ah, yes. Small win. I got vaccinated two weeks ago. I mean, is that, like, th- that's not as fun as going out for dinner, but second, second small. I got vaccinated, okay. yeah. Moderna two okay. weeks ago. Nice. Yeah. I also got vaccinated two weeks ago. That's definitely a small um, win. Yeah, like, bro. <laughs> you're not going to, you're going to stay alive to have yeah, more like, small wins. You're it's not super die. minor, but pretty big. Um, so I guess I've, I've gone out for dinner way more. Like, I went out for dinner twice. Booked yeah. my first flights out. I'm going out to the East Coast on in May for a wedding. Oh, nice. Um, vaxxed, booked, I'm busy. Let's go. <laughs> uh, I'm ready now. Right, right. So your second dose is in I might come out to I might come out to Miami. Yeah, it's in like it's Ooh, in, yeah. a, in two weeks. I might come, come out to Miami. We'll do a know? live episode. It'll be so start awesome. A, start a VC. It'll be great. I'm not starting Put my job. Start a VC. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have pitch ideas, email us info@billy.com. We'll, we'll look at it. So cool. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, topics you'd like to hear, or just want to say hello, please email info at afferability.com. Thanks.